0: Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The audience listening to Messiah King Jesus speak this day on this mountain was listening to the perfect preacher. Jesus utilizes just wonderful grasps of language, stunning illustrations, shocking contrasts. The the masterful message of the Lord Jesus continues here in verse 19 and there's two things I think you need to know as we get started so just jumping in right away first off jesus employs a play on words in this text that does not show up well in the english language in verses 19 and 20 jesus uses the same word as a verb and as a noun you see that word treasure in verse 19 and in verse 20 do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but lay up, or do not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. That word pictures, uh, you can picture a a treasure chest, a a collection of wealth, something put away for safekeeping. That is the, the noun form of the word. Treasure is something that is a thing. However, right before that word treasure, both times, Jesus uses the same word in verb form. Using the form of the exact same word in Greek, the text says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. That phrase, lay up for yourselves, pictures the act of collecting a treasure or loading up a treasure chest or making yourself a collection of wealth. And that's the verb form. What you treasure is not just the thing, It is collecting. It is something that you do. It's perfectly within the bounds of reason to translate Jesus' command in verses 19 and 20 simply as, do not treasure treasures on earth, but treasure treasures in heaven. The second thing you need to know as we dive into the text is that this is not only about wealth. Wealth. Clearly, given the examples, it includes wealth, but we've seen earlier in this chapter some very clear examples of how earthly treasure and heavenly treasure is not just about money. Earthly treasure can be about wealth, but it can also be about other worldly things that we want to collect, like attention, Right? Remember the context earlier in the chapter. Some people are giving charitably in order to accumulate attention. Some people are praying publicly in order to get attention. Some people are fasting in obvious ways in order to garner attention. This becomes their treasure. It is what they want to collect. And each time Jesus says that, what does he say? Assuredly, they have their reward. Right? That is, that they get the very thing that they want. They can accumulate on this earth attention from people, but true righteousness is concerned about pleasing our Heavenly Father, and that is a completely different kind of reward. You can see how that idea flows right into don't treasure treasures on earth, treasure treasures in heaven, even without it being about wealth. And just another thought, if this was only about wealth or about riches, think about what Jesus is saying here. Treasure, treasures in heaven. Are you gathering up literal riches? Do you have a box of gold waiting for you in heaven? Is that your hope for eternity? If it is, what do you think you're going to spend eternity spending that on? I tend to think the Lord Jesus is using the idea of worldly wealth because it is a perfect example of a greater issue that he's been talking about up to this point in the sermon. What is the motive that drives you? Is it attention and approval of people? Because you can get that and still miss out on the approval of God. Is it wealth and the collection of possessions because you can fill your life with this world's treasure and miss the true treasure in heaven are your values really the values of the model prayer that your heart's desire is for God's name to be hallowed and his kingdom to come and his will to be done are you certain that despite anything you might collect the the kingdom and the power and the glory everything is really his Matthew 6, 9 through 14, the main idea of the text is true righteousness will invest its efforts for treasure in eternal life because we know nothing in this life will last. I want to look at the text this morning using three questions. In verses 19 through 21, what has captured your heart? In verses 22 and 23, what has caught your eye? And in verse 24, who has your loyalty? So first, what's captured your heart? Look again, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The use of this striking contrast, by doing this, the Lord Jesus is teaching that there are no impartial characters in this lesson. The desire of your heart, the activity of your life, it is either focused on earthly treasure or heavenly treasure, not both. And as a result, every effort and every choice you make is performed as a reflection of what your heart really values. I suspect some of y'all might challenge that notion in your mind, if not audibly. So let's talk about it for just a moment. Every choice you make is performed as a reflection of what your heart values. Well, some might say, I don't know that that's true. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work and I'm not going to put all that much thought into it. Or I'm going to go to school, whatever. You know, is that really a, a, a choice? Is that a decision of eternal consequence? Well, the answer is yes. Even if it doesn't change what you do, it matters why you do what you do. So, For example, a man can treasure earthly riches and get up and go to work in the morning with the goal of earning more cash and accumulating more wealth to buy more stuff or getting more attention or or garnering some promotion, generally pleasing himself, and thus he is laying up treasure on earth. Another man can treasure heavenly riches and get up and go to the same job at the same place, but the motivating factor of his life is following biblical principles, honoring God through working diligently, honoring God through providing for his family, honoring God by having money and being able to help the poor. What has Jesus been teaching to this point in the Sermon on the Mount if it's not that your motives matter? Your motive for why you do what you do matters. And now he says wisdom demands that you evaluate your motives, that you set your priorities, that you tune your heart to desires of eternal significance. Why? Well, there's, two simple reasons first earthly treasure won't last the world in jesus's day was not a world in which wealth was measured by cars and cash right nobody was carrying around a checkbook or a debit card or tapping apple pay right the first measure of material wealth was your wardrobe If you want to get a good feel for this nowadays, just turn yourself back into an American middle schooler for a day, and you will experience this. Well, I can't even begin to name the specifics today. I'm just that out of touch. I remember when it was, well, it had to be guest jeans and a starter jacket and Nike high-top shoes, right? I suspect the labels have changed, but the principle remains the same We try to prove who we are by what we wear. In Joshua chapter 7, the Hebrews were commanded to completely destroy the city of Jericho and everything in it. But a man named Achan set his eyes on some silver and some gold. And it describes a fancy set of clothes. And he just could not resist. He took it as a prize for himself. For in Luke 7, Jesus is going to take a shot at King Herod's pride when he speaks of those quote, in soft clothes and gorgeous apparel. Clothes were a proof of material wealth. The thing is, Jesus points out moths were extremely common in that climate. And a moth, you cannot convince a moth to care Whether you were rich or poor, all those clothes could get moth-eaten. If you convert your wealth to coin, you've got another problem. Jesus says, rust destroys the alloys used to create ancient coins, left them susceptible to oxidation and wear. You know, in my office, I've got a little... Collection of replica coins from Bible times, and even the replicas don't look like they're in that good a shape. Some of your wealth is susceptible to the movements of nature, like moths. What survives nature gets lost to the ravages of time, where rust comes in and destroys. And then Jesus says, There's another danger. There's people, because every penny you earn, there is somebody who is willing to steal it. Jesus says thieves will break in and steal. The term there literally means they'll dig in. The, the houses back then, they were made of dried mud, right? And And so you could put on a nice door and put a deadbolt on the door, but it wouldn't change the fact the the back wall was made of mud and thieves could literally dig through and steal. They could break through and steal. You will lose your wealth. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward the heavens. Right? Not one bit of earthly treasure carries eternal significance. Either people like thieves or nature like moths or time like rust is going to separate it from you. Your wealth is either going to leave you or you are going to leave it. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks the rhetorical question, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet in the process lose his own soul? And what would that man be able to trade to to bargain in exchange for his soul? The first reason Jesus gives for storing up heavenly treasure is that earthly treasure won't last the second reason is heavenly treasure won't leave look at verse 20 lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal treasure in this world is temporary heavenly treasure is an eternal possession now the contrast here can't just be the location of the treasure Earth versus heaven. It also has to be the nature of the treasure. I mean, is Jesus saying, don't treasure earthly treasures? Instead, make yourself a big closet full of clothes and a big box of gold in heaven? What is heavenly treasure? Well, in the Beatitudes, all you have to do is go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 when he begins the sermon and he talks about the kind of character of his disciples and the treasure that comes as a result. The mournful will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers will be called children of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By following those beatitudes, being merciful and mournful and pure-hearted and a peacemaker following the character qualities that are commanded by king jesus we are storing up heavenly treasure that will never disappear cannot be destroyed and always holds its value later on as paul's writing his letters in the new testament he writes to his young friend timothy in first timothy chapter six and he echoes the Lord's teaching here and in the process gives some concrete examples of what heavenly treasure is. He writes in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, to command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. In the process, they are storing up for themselves, he says, a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. You hear the the similarity there, right? He doesn't say that those who are wealthy in this world have inherently done some unrighteous thing in order to become wealthy because it is God who gives it to them. But he warns them, don't be proud. Don't trust in those riches. Those things are uncertain. They are not going to continue. They are fleeting, but use them to do good, to do acts of righteousness, generosity, and and fellowship. And that, he says, Stores up a good foundation for the future. Neither the Apostle Paul nor Jesus are saying, You got to try to get to heaven because there's treasure up there. That's not what they're saying. We think of it that way. After all, we read the description of heaven and there's pearly gates and streets of gold. Y'all, I promise. You are not going to chip away at the pavement and pocket a clump of gold so that you can start ordering a new pair of jeans off of Amazon. That is not how you're gonna spend eternity. Storing up treasure in heaven means to be actively serving God in this life, not for the attention of men or for the wealth that you can accumulate, but because you love the Lord and your treasure is pleasing him. Listen to Jesus' logic as he explains your heart follows your treasure in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Y'all, there's a couple of ways of looking at this verse, and I think maybe I've been doing it wrong for a while. Typically, I like to point out that the location of your treasure reveals what's in your heart right if your treasure is on earth then your heart is here with it if your treasure is in heaven your heart is there with it and to some extent that's accurate there's there's clearly a correlation between your treasure and your heart they are connected so while it's true that the condition of your heart is revealed by the location of your treasure That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's speaking of, remember, treasuring treasures, the act of accumulating for yourself treasure. Are you putting your effort into earthly things or are you putting your effort into heavenly things, to eternal things? And Jesus says, where you put your effort, your heart, is naturally going to follow that. Where your treasure is, where your effort is, that's where your heart's gonna go. And so while it's true that if you love earthly riches in your heart, you're going to pursue them with your efforts, Jesus is actually here teaching the flip side of that is also true. Where you put your effort your affection is going to follow. If you spend your life with the goal of gathering riches, then those riches are going to have your heart. You will love your stuff till the day you die, and then you will enter eternity being forever separated from it. If you spend your life with the goal of treasuring what is valued in heaven, you might miss out on some stuff here, But on your dying day you will be united with what you love and enjoy it forever. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 12 that serves as a tremendous illustration of this truth. And I'm just going to paraphrase the story. But he spoke a parable talking about a certain man who was a farmer. And his ground brought plentiful at the harvest. And so the man started asking himself, what am I going to do with all this harvest that I've collected? Wait, I know what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and I will make bigger barns. And then I'll store everything in there, all my crops, all my goods, all my wealth. And I love, he says, "And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus says, God's going to say to him, Fool, you're going to die tonight. And then who gets all your stuff? You've lost everything you treasure when all you treasure is here on earth. Jesus concludes that story by saying, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Where do your treasures reside? Are you storing up treasure for yourself to give your mind ease? You know, just in case, I I better collect all this just in case there is some unforeseen need. I urge you to start storing up eternal treasure by serving God because answering to Him someday is not an unforeseen possibility. It is a certainty. Verses 19 through 21 ask that question. Where is your heart? Really? Verse 22 and 23 ask the question, what has caught your eye? He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Y'all, let's just admit up front that this is not the easiest couple of verses to understand. We do not use the same vocabulary, the same kind of turns of phrase as Jesus' audience did. I'm sure they understood it fine, but I think we'll benefit from remembering that Jesus is using this as an illustration of truth that he's teaching. When we take some illustration or imagery and we try to make every possible angle contain some deep meaning, that is when we will go off the rails. So the basic intention of Jesus here is clear enough. He speaks of your eye, your vision. And says that's what gives light to the body. Light and darkness are clear enough as standing for good and evil. If your eye is good, literally the word he uses there is single or healthy is the meaning. Your whole body benefits. It can function properly because it can see correctly. Correctly. If your eye is bad, the body cannot function properly. I really like that the King James Version says, if your eye is single, this word Jesus uses for good or single or healthy, it's picturing someone who is singularly focused. In the context, it seems evident enough, Jesus is teaching that if you have set your eyes on heavenly treasure and at the same time try to set your eyes on earthly treasure, it leaves you cross-eyed with double vision, bound to stumble. This is a common way of speaking in ancient Israel. Someone with a good eye was focused on good things, and someone with an evil eye was focused on evil things. For example, Proverbs 22.9, He who has a generous eye will be blessed. That is, he has an eye toward being generous. We also use the word eye today, not exactly as the ancient Israelites did, but in a way that describes it's the focus of a person's life. So to have stars in your eyes is to think something is going to be enjoyable or appealing or you're just in wonder at it. A man with a wandering eye is prone to be unfaithful if something or someone catches your eye. It has grabbed your attention. Similarly, I think the simple point Jesus is making is that what you set your aisle and what has your attention and fixation is also going to determine your action and direction. Heavenly treasure, obedience to God should be your singular focus. And anyone who tries to Divide their attention, who tries to live a life saying, Well, yes, I am focused on God, but I'm also focused on earthly stuff, is in fact living without clear vision. If your attention is split, if your focus is split, if your efforts are divided, Jesus says you cannot legitimately say you've got a little bit of light. He in fact says you're full of darkness. And what's worse he says such claims of having some light some some attention and focus toward God it actually intensifies the darkness right if that light that is in you is darkness how great that darkness is so what has your eye what has grabbed your attention because the things of this world will do nothing but weigh you down and hold you back from what's good versus 22 and 23 might be a little difficult for us today because it's just not how we talk anymore. But you know how we might say it today? Friends, if you are going to navigate the Christian life successfully, you have to keep your eyes on the prize. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, Lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us and run the race with endurance, affixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So the first question was what has captured your heart? The second is what has caught your eye? The third is who has your loyalty? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or riches, or wealth, or it's just a way of describing your possessions, your stuff. Y'all, you might as well get fronted, confronted with this truth this morning. You were not made to be a master. You were built to serve. The word Jesus uses for serve here is the verb form of the word for do loss. It means to be a servant or literally a slave. So follow the logic the Lord Jesus is building. In verses 19 through 21, Jesus is arguing you cannot succeed having divided effort. You can either accumulate riches on earth or you can accumulate riches in heaven, but you can't do both. In verses 22 and 23, he argues against divided attention. Your eye is either set on the things of light, on godly things, or on the things of darkness, evil things, but your focus is on something. You're not walking through life cross-eyed. You cannot do both. But if the first argument was about dividing your effort, and the second was about dividing your attention. Now it is, it's being driven home, this point about divided loyalty. He gives this enduring statement that hammers home his point. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both. You cannot love both. You cannot obey both. Even if you don't want to admit it, you've got a preference. When Jesus speaks of he will be loyal to one or as the King James Version has it, he will hold to one. That is actually a Greek military term which means to stand shoulder to shoulder with an ally facing off against an enemy. In other words, you can say that you have both of these masters and that you will serve both, but the reality is because they are opponents of one another. When reveille sounds and everyone snaps to attention, you are going to pick a side. You have to. rich young ruler came to Jesus once asking, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he wanted eternal life. He wanted it as an inheritance, which, which is recognizing this is something you get from your father. He came with a great question from a good desire, but Jesus knew that young man had divided loyalties. He wanted to have heavenly treasure, but just as something to add to the collection of earthly treasure, he already possessed. And Jesus quickly brushed him aside. You remember Jesus' initial answer? You know what the law says, go do it. And the man, instead of being convicted of his sin and shortcomings, says, well, I have. I have done all of those things from the time I was a child, and yet it still seems like something's missing. So Jesus drove a dagger into the heart of the matter. He said, this this is what you're missing. It is just one little thing. One little thing you're missing. Go sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. This was a test of loyalty that Jesus knew full well that young man would not pass. When it came to the point when he had to make a choice, he was not willing to let go of his worldly stuff in order to hold to or choose the side of righteousness, of heavenly things. My friends, you are faced with that choice every day. What has captured your heart? What has caught your attention? Where does your loyalty really lie? This world has treasure for sure, and treasure is that's going to weigh you down, that's, you know, whether it's a, a craving for attention or a, a desire for wealth, there's always going to be some kind of temptation for some kind of thing that your your heart desires. But the more that you are enamored with the kind of possessions that this world values, the less you are going to value the kind of treasure that heaven values. Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness for One's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. So if our life does not consist of the stuff that we can gather in this world, then what is the essence of our life? In this text, Jesus argues it should be full-hearted devotion and service to God, complete focus on God, 100% loyalty to God as your master. The Sermon on the Mount draws a a hard dividing line. It makes it clear you have picked a side. You cannot, even if you think that you can do it, that you can serve God and still go about this world serving yourself, you cannot do it. You cannot be mostly loyal. Sort of loyal. Being mostly loyal is being disloyal. And if you don't believe that, then imagine going home this afternoon and informing your spouse that you have been mostly faithful. God is not going to ignore it when you serve another master. Your heavenly father is not interested in some kind of joint custody where you're only with him on the weekends. And your willingness or unwillingness to live as a servant to him in all things it is a sure indication of what you really believe if you truly believe eternity is a reality then the temporary things of this world will not get your efforts they will not garner your attention they they're not worth your loyalty and you'll know it The things of this world have done nothing and can do nothing of eternal significance and value for you. Only Jesus provides the treasure that lasts. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant, rich, uh, abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. If Jesus has captured your heart, if he has your attention, if you really believe he is worthy of your loyalty, you will gladly live as his servant, looking forward to the heavenly treasure that will not rot and will not rust and cannot ever be taken away. That is going to be your motive and your heart's desire.